Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on his people in that day is one he still has for us in 2023. May he find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. For the past 20 years, we've had a front row seat to God doing more than we could ever imagine. Lives impacted for all eternity. Public professions of faith through baptism. Kids and adults discipled in the ways of Jesus. Campuses expanded to reach the multitudes, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And now our sights are set on something bigger and bolder, something immeasurably more. Let us join God in what he is doing next. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. Hey, can you all believe that like, you woke up this morning, it was actually a little bit cold and actually felt a little bit like fall? So I took advantage of that. Put, yeah, there's a few flannels in here. I get it. Uh, my wife is already like pumpkin spice latte. Like I'm like, it's literally only been two days. Full into it, though. Well, hey, my name is John Simons. I'm the men's pastor, as Joel was saying. And speaking of Joel, hey, can we give it up so they hear it in the back for Joel and the rest of the band and how great of a job they do? They are really incredible. And so I spoke here a few months ago during the Roman series. And so if I met you then, it's nice to see you again. If I haven't met you, uh, please come find me afterwards. Say hello, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. Nick has been gracious enough to invite me back for Nehemiah 3. He'll be returning for Nehemiah 4. And so uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the word with you all today. Now, before I do so, though, I know you, everyone has already looked around and they see next. And uh, everyone's aware that our church is going through a really exciting season. And so I've joined, uh, I've been out here now about a year in Nashville at the, at the Franklin campus. Um, and 
it has been incredible because I feel privileged in the sense that we were looking back over the last year, through the last 20 years of this church. And so uh, remembering the days in the clubhouse when Jeff and Lisa were just starting the church, moving to the movie theaters, and we did the movie series. And then we talked uh, and all met as campuses as we celebrated the 20-year anniversary at the Ryman. Does anyone remember that? A few head nods, all right. Well, it was a great time. And so now as we head towards the f- this fall, we're looking at the next 20 years of what our church will need and as we continue to grow. And as someone who comes from a church that's now 43 years old, I'll just give you this little encouragement before we get into Nehemiah 3, is that, so I grew up at a church that's 43 years old, and uh, some of that was obviously growing up in the church as a, as a young uh, guy, but then later coming on as a staff member and as a pastor, and so seeing it through that lens as well. And here is what I will encourage you with, is every time we went through a capital campaign, it helped change the trajectory of, that, of the church. It invited us into a new season of God was doing something that he was wanting to be fulfilled. And that heart posture, and believe me, I get it, like, full trans vulnerability here, like, when you hear capital campaign, there's mixed emotions sometimes, right? Let's just, but what I would encourage you is the heart, heart posture of God is doing something new, and how is he inviting us into that, whether that is financially or with our ha- hands and heart of how we serve him. And so I promise you through this is uh, the next campaign will change this church for the better, but it's also going to impact generations of this church that are to come. And so that is my two-minute, two, two minute, maybe I went three, uh, little spiel of encouragement. So less about that, more about Nehemiah 3 right now. Sound good? Okay, so let's remember the context of Nehemiah. And I know Nick has covered this, but Jerusalem's walls have been destroyed. And as a whole, the city needs a lot of work. It's in a crumbled state for where the, city, where the people of God should really be and be held and protected. And so they find themselves in a crumbled state. And God has now put it on Nehemiah's heart. And he's gone to the king and got a blessing to rebuild the city and its walls and its gates. And now in chapter 3, we find ourselves specifically looking at that today. It's going to read like a government report. There is like no other ways to see it. If you open up your Bibles right now, it is a report. And Nick conveniently went on vacation uh, in the chapter that drastic, drastically differs from the first two. Uh, the first two, we have some narrative, like I was saying. This chapter, friends, um, well, it's not. It's just not. It's, there's literally no dialogue. I'm setting things up really strong for today. No dialogue, no prayers, no major decrees by God or minors, uh, no, just no decrees at all. And then there's actually no explicit referencing of God in general. Thank you, Nick. Some, some commentaries actually uh, skip it. They just say, hey, they built the wall then. Uh, some pastors, when they do a Nehemiah series, they conveniently skip it as well. However, we're not going to do that because there are things to learn from. But if you catch a pastor and you look through all of his like, uh, resume of speaking, when it comes to his shortest pre- sermon preached ever, it's probably Nehemiah 3. So there's a benefit in all this for you guys too. All right? The, I, no amen. A few laughs, but no amen. I was waiting for the amen. Okay? But in all of this, like I would say, uh, another little oddity in it is there's a lot of names. So uh, if you would like a fun night, uh, you know, uh, party, uh, go ahead and try to read these names through this entire report 
say what think say out loud what you think they are and then do a bible uh, uh, pronunciation app and they are widely wildly different um, and I've, I've done that myself. I literally remind me as I was studying this week of like when I was go- going through as a teenager, like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, and you were convinced that you said their name right, Voldemort. I mean, that literally was, was, was Voldemort. But like whatever you thought it was, and then you hear it on the big screen, you're like, I was been saying the, say the name wrong in my head for five years. That is kind of how chapter three reads. But the thing is, amidst the unusualness of this whole chapter being a report, it doesn't mean that there's not some really important information and lessons that God has for us to glean from. And so God's word, every chapter, is filled with a lesson that is to be applied in our life. And even in the chapters that I dare may say, this could be taken as somewhat boring, there is something that he is reminding us here today as his church. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Nehemiah 3. We're going to be looking, obviously, at this chapter a little bit more topically, because without as much narrative to take something sequentially doesn't make as much sense. But there's so much to glean from about lessons about ourselves, our work and calling and how we serve and how we do that together. And then we're going to highlight something that Nehemiah has as an underlying heart issue at the tail end of this. So our first lesson that Nehemiah teaches us is this. That ordinary work is sacred. Ordinary work is sacred. So you're going to notice very clearly on in this chapter as you open your Bibles that Nehemiah goes through great lengths, painstaking lengths, to note every person and the task that they accomplished. And really the short summary of this chapter is this, guys, that 52 days is what it took to completely rebuild the walls in the gates around Jerusalem. So if you look up here and on the screens here, we have a visual for that. If you start in the upper uh, north corner of the city, and obviously the gold is the walls, and then the, the, blue, t- the blue text that you probably can't see, and I'm so sorry, um, is where the, all the gates are. So the sheep gate you'll see is the very north, uh, and that is right next to the fish gate going left here. Um, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, and lastly, the inspector to round it all up, the, the muster gate, that is where uh, the military be to inspect things as they come in. And so the, the really the short summary is they, they, they bolted a lot of doors in, they laid a lot of wood. That is what they were doing in this chapter, friends. And all of this work seems like it's just ordinary, right? But it's actually a mistake to read it with this interpretation, with this assumption. Nothing about their work was truly ordinary. The reason that this chapter is even in Scripture is a reminder of our work being sacred. That what we do with our minds, our heart, and our hands is always a part of God's larger sovereign plan in your life. And you know, I think they understood this a little bit better than we do in our day. When we read this with modern eyes, and I see the word dungate, yeah, there's a few little like laughs there because I don't know what uh, I did before I looked it up. I didn't know what a dung gate was, but I will tell you this: dung gate sounds nasty, <laughs> right? Like it sounds like whoever took on the dung gate, God bless them. And, and so, the dung gate is literally the trash guys, and the person who took it on uh, was a man named, and I, I'm I'm trying not to butcher this. I'm going to say it now: uh, Malki, Malki, no, Malki. Malchi, hey. we'll go with Mal- uh, Malchi, okay? And uh, 
he was called to rebuild this gate by Nehemiah. And the thing is, most of us probably say rebuilding a trash gate is very ordinary. Right? I didn't realize that I have my own personal dung gate to the left of my house. Right? Where we put the trash bins behind. That is your dung gate. Fun fact, you can now tell everyone in your neighborhood, hey, did you uh, use your dung gate this week? And they will think that, like, that just sounds rude. But it's not. It's proper. Okay? <laughs> Nothing sounded too special about this. But historically, here's the thing. I bet you he was thinking to himself as he built this, du- this dung gate, I'm honored to rebuild this. I'm so glad Nehemiah called me to this. I'm honored to rebuild this for the glory of God because I hope we use this gate in a way that honors him. It's for, friends, this gate was used for far more than taking out trash in the history of Israel. It is a history filled with evil and devastation. Historically, this was the gate where children were taken out south of the city, south of the city to be sacrificed to the idols, and it was horrendous. A second chronicle describes King Manasseh dishonored the Lord with with worshiping false gods and idols like that of Moloch. And a part of the reason this city is in the devastated state that it is was disobedience from what was being led out of that gate, and that is precious children to be sacrificed. And I think he knew that. Jesus comes back to talk about that place, the, the, the Valley of Hinnom. That's what Jesus says is Gehenna in the New Testament. It literally means Valley of Hinnom. And he used that valley south of the city as a picture of hell in the New Testament. Because there were so many times that that valley south of the city was filled with ash, embers, fire that would be coming up all the time, and burned bodies. That is the historical reference point for hell. And what that gate led to was truly evil. And you have to think that in the ordinary work of uh, Malchai, I'm going to get this right, uh, Malchai, that he was rebuilding this gate, that it had to be a reminder to himself and all the other people building this wall and these gates, this was a reminder of themselves that they are called to trust in God's faithfulness, and they have a history of not. And this was a second chance at doing that. You have to think to himself that he thought about all the kids who had walked through that gate along that path south of the city. And he said to himself and God, never again. Lord, we are called to desire what you want. Lord, we give ourselves to you. You are faithful in rebuilding this gate, so we too will be faithful in our response. Nothing about rebuilding the gates or the walls of Jerusalem was ordinary work, friends. It was sacred. His hands were playing a small role in God's larger sovereign plan. And I think that's the exact calling that we have today with our work. When 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 we work a part of this city, it's actually, quite ironically, pretty close to what Nehemiah was doing with rebuilding the walls and the gates. We're called as the church to step into the places, friends, 
in our city and be a presence and witness for Christ in his way and rule of life. Now more than ever, we need, we need to be at our workplaces and a part of our city and look at it as the opportunity to rebuild and gain a foothold for Christ and his kingdom. Even when you're sending some emails at your desk, like I do every Monday morning, Tuesday, try to do all my emails on Monday and Tuesday. You can still send me an email on Thursday, and I will probably respond, but the bulk of them. And here's what I have to constantly remind myself with, is that work's actually sacred. Because God may be using my hands to type on that keyboard, answering an email from someone who may not realize that I'm going to answer in kindness and love and generosity when they made that email back to me or that they sent was not great. And that may trigger them to ask, why is this person being so loving? Why does this person have the concern to be caring for me? And then we can sit there and say, because of God's faithfulness in our lives. I know it sounds silly, but friends, Nehemiah is reminding us that none of the work we actually do, even in the mundane, routine things of our lives, that it's ordinary. It's actually sacred. Even when we talk about the rebuilding of a dung gate. And I really just wanted to say dung gate one more time. That was sacred work. And he knew it, and we can see it in the history of Israel why it was. But there's a temptation to believe it was ordinary when it never was. That's just lesson one from Nehemiah. Lesson two is this, that we're called as the church to work together with our different skill sets and experiences. Notice how many people, if you want to go through and try to count, I've already done it, Nehemiah names 38 specific individuals and 42 groups of people who were called to rebuild and restore Jerusalem and these walls. There were rulers and priests, both men and women, craftsmen, goldsmiths, and merchants, literally everyone. <coughs> Sorry, guys. <coughs> literally everyone was called upon. And this is a beautiful picture of what the local church looked like today. It's a beautiful picture for what Paul is talking about in the New Testament and in the first century. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul reminds us of this. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. <coughs> Last time I was here, we chatted about Romans 12, 6. And we went through greater lengths, but this is what Paul is reaffirming. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Friends, we're at our best when we stand shoulder to shoulder in diversity with our skill sets, experiences, and backgrounds in life. God calls us to use each of our unique talents and gifts and experience for him and his kingdom. And I have to admit in all this, like, if I, I was thinking about this, like, man, I wonder what Nehemiah would uh, ask me to do. And it probably, like, I'm not the most handy of guys. Like, I don't even know how to use power tools very well, and I, I own that. Um, I wonder what Nehemiah would have put me in there to do. And the thing is, he would have found something for a guy like me to do. And that is the way that things still continue in the church today. That, you will, that whatever your shape is, there is probably a need for it. And for us, God is calling us to step in and serve in that way. And you know what this reminds me of? It's, it's Jay Williams at our church. 
So go ahead and turn to the video screens to the left and right of me as we talk about, as Papa Jay shares a little bit of encouragement with the survey. God's pointing at each one of us and he's saying, I want you to serve. You know, it doesn't take a special skill. Don't be afraid. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of. I have yet to have even little kids. No one's bit me yet. So <laughs> you, won't get, you won't get bit doing this, I hope. I won't, can't promise that. But, you know, it's one of those things. If you do, suffering for Jesus, take it and go. My oldest son gave me a T-shirt that says, my name is Papa because I'm way too cool to be called grandfather. And the freshman year with my guys at camp, we had a, a young intern who was 20, and they said, man, we gotta have a different name. You can't just be Mr. J and Evan. Why don't we call him dad and we'll call Mr. J granddad. Well, one of the kids said, wait a minute. He's got that shirt that says, my name is Papa. I'm way too be cool called grandfather. So why don't we just call him rather than Mr. J? Why don't we go to Papa J? So that's where that came from. Why at almost 70 am I still doing this? Man, what a question. Just because we turn 65 or 70 or 80 doesn't mean you can't serve anymore. The call to serve doesn't have a retirement date built in. I didn't see Jesus say, go and make disciples until you turn 65 and then you can go play golf. You know, we're, we're called to serve and I don't think it ends. And it doesn't require a gift of teaching or hospitality or, you know, all the spiritual gifts that are out there. You know, it, it's, it's called availability. But you know, it's not hard to stand at the door and say hello, open the door for somebody. My desire is to bring people in that will love, to, that love being at our church. We are very fortunate to have phenomenal Bible teachers that can share and teach God's Word to us. We have phenomenal worship. You know, I want to see that continue. But the future is those people behind us. It's those kids in the pre-K program. If we don't pour them, our lives into those people, there is no future for our church. They are the future, and that's where the focus needs to be. I got on you know, Connect Camp's Instagram page, and they had a banquet at the end of the summer. 500, I think, four young people gave their life to Christ through Connect Camps this summer. 46 of those were here at Rolling Hills. You want a reason why you should serve? Come be a part of that. Come share the gospel. I mean, there's nothing like sitting with a young man or a young woman who says, yes, I would like to learn what it means to ask Christ to come into my life. It will change your life forever. I love Jay Williams. And really, it, he is a a golden example, a great representation of serving at Rolling Hills. Uh, he, he will, you'll literally see him. He's on leading uh, Wednesday morning Bible study for us for men. You'll see him at high school uh, serving there. You'll see him on Sunday mornings at the door greeting. He is just a great representation of what we, of the call to be a member of Rolling Hills. And he is a fantastic man. And if you're not involved, I would really encourage you to serve in some capacity. It will make going to Rolling Hills and knowing that this is your church home all the more personal and fulfilling in your journey and walk with Christ. I guarantee that. And so that is why we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus as the, his body. And so you can't do that without getting involved. 
Okay, now the third lesson that we're going to move on to from Nehemiah is this. Serving together can actually be an invitation for others to join in, is an invitation for others to join in. Nehemiah pretty much called upon all of Judah to help restore the home of God's people. He called upon the men of the neighboring city in Jericho. He asked the Levites who helped to uh, perform. If you don't know about the Levites, they were kind of scattered across all the cities and helped perform the priestly duties. And so he called upon them. There was no one that really, Nehemiah thought, oh, they're off the list. Everyone was on the list. Even people probably weren't even in the club. And he's like, nope, they're like a neighbor. Get them to help out. And I think that's the heart posture that we're going to have to take on too, friends, is how are we looking beyond our walls as we go into a season of rebuilding and serving? And Nehemiah suggests that, that sometimes families work together on the wall. What if for our next season of serving, you guys work together as a family? You ask your husband, kids, we can find age-appropriate stuff. What if you asked your community group to serve together? What if when we opened a community center in Haywood Hills, that you not only invited your family, your community group, but then your neighbor next to you too. Because I think Nehemiah is on to something with this. He understands the value and the payoff of asking people to join in in the work. It may be that moment that your neighbor says, yeah, I'll go work at a community center. And guess what? They may hear the gospel there. And then they not only go to the community center to help you out, but they start coming to church too. That is the ways that the Lord works. I think Nehemiah knows that deeply, and that's why so many people from various backgrounds came to help out. And they said yes, but it couldn't have happened without a a request first. One last thing that I want to talk about today is that from Nehemiah here is that we see in this report, in a subtle way, something actually very deep, though, and that's Nehemiah is pointing out the heart issue, that our desire to know God should always follow with a commitment to serve him. This is the call Jesus' call to servant leadership. And the reality is, let me just say it this way. I know how difficult it can be to serve. Uh, I have two young kids. I know what it's like to be like, oh, I'm going to try to put them down and then go serve at something. Or on a Saturday morning when it's like, oh, that is the only time we've had as family time. I completely understand it. But what Nehemiah, I think, is talking about here is when you look at like verse 5. Nehemiah is suggesting that some people, nobles in particular, he he highlights, just refuse to do the work. And some are reported to have done some more projects than others, less than others, and that's very all fine if that's all they could handle. But here's what I think it teaches us for today as modern believers, is our desire to know God ought to follow with a commitment to serve him. And I think we tend to, when we think of our life in the church, we tend to think of like, oh, I'm going to this great Bible study or this men's group. Or I'm reading the new Christian life book that's best-selling and it's going to revolutionize everything about my spiritual life. Friends, I would actually say the more we start to think about how you're pursuing Christ with your head, heart, and hands, the heart and the hands, the personal transformation comes oftentimes by working with your hands and serving the Lord. That is where you can learn just as much as the head knowledge of Scripture. In Mark 39, 35, it says this, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. If you read the Gospels, it's repeatedly, they did, they often did not get it. Like, and that's fine, because, I mean, I think we're all that, right? But they often did not get the ways of leadership and serving and how those 
are intricately tied together. And Jesus' point that if you want to lead, you must first be on your hands and knees serving. And I think that is something that the truth is we can miss out on what God is doing when we don't take that posture. And for this season of the church, I would just, I'm encouraging myself, Lord, where is there a need? Am I putting on that leadership, servant leadership, in all the ways that I am working out my faith? Those nobles who refused to actually build that wall, what they truly missed on is building the walls that one day Jesus would walk through. And Jesus calls us to think less of ourselves and more of him. That not only includes when we read scripture and let it fill our minds with good things and how it shapes us. That is good. But it is even better when we connect the, heart, the head, heart, and mind in how we see him. And that's why our key takeaway is this. Each of us who call Rolling Hills Community Church our church home, we have a role and responsibility to help build the next 20 years for God's greater glory. As we think about the building that we're in right now, friends, someone said yes, whether financially or literally with their hands, to helping build this place. And we're thankful for all that they gave. And as we head into another season of rebuilding and expanding our church home, let's think of the future generations that that's going to impact. The ways that God is going to move and expand his kingdom in Nashville. And I'm making a special point to make the, the, the fill-in to do this for God's greater glory. Because sometimes we even have to write down that this is really not about us. It's not about rolling hills. It's not about our legacy. We call this church home. It's really about what God is doing in and through us for his greater glory and his kingdom. And that's why we have such a privilege to participate in it. And it's why we're so excited because we all realize God is doing something new. And we just want to be involved. And I would love it for Rolling Hills to be the type of church where we talk about the body of Christ, that people see God's kingdom and the body of Christ coming alive in new and exciting ways in Nashville. And we're taking more ground for the kingdom inch by inch. But the thing is, it all starts with us realizing that what goes on in our ordinary life is sacred. Those little moments throughout our week are sacred. And the, way, the thing that we have to wrestle with this week, guys, is this. Do I understand and do I allow the Lord to let my hands do something in his greater sovereign plan? And am I slowing down enough to realize that? Because just like rebuilding an ordinary dung gate, the Lord was using something in a mighty way. How is he going to use our hands? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for all that you're doing in this church, and I love this church. What you're doing in and through the lives of our members, I thank you. The glory is all yours. For each of my friends here today and myself, I ask that you give us hearts of servant leadership in our church and in our communities. I ask that you give each of us a place and a task to belong and serve alongside of you, Lord. We appreciate and see all that you're doing, Lord, and we see and appreciate all that the members of this church do to serve. Lord, allow our church in this next season to come alive in all new ways. We are so grateful for all that you're doing. And Lord, as we look around the world, I just ask that you be with our brothers and sisters in and around Israel. There's so much going on there right now, Lord. Protect all the innocent lives. 
all those families that are caught up in chaos right now, pure chaos. Give its leaders wisdom and discernment and give ours the same for what came as a result of these attacks. Lord, this week, for every person in here, may we feel your peace, your presence, and your comfort that only you can give us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.